0: In December, energy and environmental officials in the Hochul administration released a pre-proposal outline of the state's much-anticipated cap-and-invest program, which is supposed to help New York accomplish its ambitious climate change goals by capping future pollution emissions, charging polluters for their emissions, and investing those funds into green initiatives. To discuss this stage of the process including what's actually in the pre-proposal and what blanks still need to be filled in we're joined in the capitol press room studio by the martin and lewis of state government and they are state environmental conservation commissioner basil sagos welcome back to the show basil
1: hello dave good to see you
0: good to see you and we're also joined by doreen harris president and ceo of the new york state energy research and development authority welcome back doreen
2: thanks for having us
0: So how would you two describe where we are right now in early January on the journey uh, toward implementation of a cap and invest program? Not everyone at once.
2: Well, it's been a very busy year. And and what you saw at the end of last year, I would say, is the product of an extensive amount of two things. Number one is outreach. Um, We had A series of webinars and meetings over the summer and into the early fall that really laid out a number of decision points um, and took in feedback associated with them around cap and invest as a general matter. In addition, this is just a lot of work. This is a lot of agency work, and, and fundamentally we had a number of deliverables to produce, which we now have done at the end of last year. Certainly, the governor set forth a very clear direction for us as to how to advance cap and invest in a manner that both took in extensive feedback, but also led to five core principles that she stated last year. I'd say the, the most significant of which is the, the concept of affordability, i.e. how to do this in a manner that not only holds many and all New Yorkers harmless, but also benefits us all at the same time. And so this is a complex undertaking, but one that we're very um, proud to say uh, the deliverables achieved at the end of last year represent an important milestone in in that progress to realize New York's cap-and-invest program.
0: Well, what does the public know now about the shape of a future cap-and-invest program that we didn't know before the pre-proposal was released in mid-December?
1: Well, I listen, I mean, creating a cap-and-invest program involves uh, – creating a regulatory framework for advancing the program. We have the authority under the CLCPA, that was clear. We worked with the legislature last year on some of the the eventual spend of it, created those various buckets. But really to create the program, we've gotta go through the regulatory process. I think what we learned, what the public is learning, is it is a very complicated undertaking. We have to do this right to put out effective regulations uh, in the coming uh, months. We need the public's feedback. That's why what we're doing is a pre-proposal process as opposed to just jumping right into the regulatory process. We want to advance draft regulations by second quarter this year that is informed by public input, and that's public input on the terms of the regulations. So who will have to report on their emissions? And then based on that large universe, that's the greenhouse gas reporting rule that we're talking about, then who, um, who will be obligated to then participate in cap and invest. So those those are two very important rules that we're now developing. We will be developing with the public. We are learning an extensive amount of information, putting it all together, analyzing it, churning it out for the public to comment on so that we can actually advance a program that works.
0: Well, those are two areas where there's still a lot to be written. But uh, Doreen, you mentioned this idea of trying to hold people harmless. And it's my understanding that the uh, early proposal includes uh, some mechanisms uh, designed to cushion costs for ratepayers uh, such as refundable tax credits. What, if anything, has been sort of written down in that area in this pre-proposal?
2: So there there were a number of deliverables issued at the end of last year. Uh, Certainly, uh, Commissioner Sagos referenced the pre-proposal, and that has a number of different components related to the functioning of cap and invest. But then, in addition, we had a requirement to produce um, an affordability study by the end of 2023 as well. And that requirement not only was a legislative requirement, but also one that was very focused on this principle of affordability as a central tenant of Cap & Invest in the first instance. And notably, um, last year, we, we established funds, accounts, if you will, that through which the proceeds of Cap & Invest would ultimately flow. And one of them was the Consumer Climate Action Account. And that's really um, the focus of this affordability study, which is looking at actually how. How does one put money back in the pockets of New Yorkers through this 30% provision that was part of this um, account? Uh, fundamentally, it's a harder test than you would think it is um, to reach every single New Yorker in an accessible, I'd say efficient and timely manner Ultimately, one of the conclusions of that study was that the tax credit would be the best way to get um, to most New Yorkers and then have a small subset of non-tax filers that we would need to reach through other means. So so that's what the study is looking at, is, is literally the mechanics of how to reach New Yorkers through this account.
0: What sort of flexibility do you envision or think will be required based on how much people pay for their energy, depending on where they live, or just their income levels?
2: So I'd say that there's a few different ways that, that we can get back funds to New Yorkers. This account is one of them, um, the, the tax credit provisions that we're recommending in that study. In addition, there are, there are ways that we can actually refund energy consumers as well, understanding that we are relying ever more so on the grid. That means people's utility bills would necessarily be impacted. And and there's ways that we can actually consign, uh, I'd say allowances under the cap and invest program for the benefit of electricity consumers as well. It's it's a topic that's discussed in these deliverables at the same time.
0: And is there an expectation that any sort of benefits would be gradually phased out? Or is the idea that once they're here, this is going to be the new norm, people will be continuing to get benefits uh, in some shape or fashion?
2: This is a durable commitment. It is the case that, in the first instance, again, given this principle of affordability, we want this to be a durable way in which people, as I said, can can receive these refunds. But also, I think it's important to note that two thirds of these investments are intended to actually effectuate the change that we seek, i.e., investing in clean energy and uh, resilience and you know other means by which to advance this transition uh, affordably, but also at a scale so as to bring costs down.
0: Well, for listeners just joining us, we're continuing our conversation about the implementation of a cap and invest program in New York. And our guests are State Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos and NYSERDA President and CEO Doreen Harris. Basil, in order to actually know if New York is achieving its future greenhouse gas emission reduction goals, what sort of reporting is going to need to be required from uh, emitters? And and have you figured out who's going to need to uh, have their emission reporting sent to DEC or whatever Mm -hmm. state agency is tasked with this?
1: Well, you know, we've been tracking emissions in New York for some time. Uh, We actually just put out um, our latest inventory of emissions, which shows a a, a slight decrease in emissions from both 1990 levels, which is important, but also 2005 levels. And what year would that
0: latest information be from? Is this a 2021? 2021.
1: So it it shows some progress. And it's not just adjusted for uh, COVID. Yes, there was a big drop during COVID because of lack of transportation, energy use, and everything else. Uh, But it shows some meaningful decreases. So that's one data point. The forward-looking data point, the tool here that we are looking to put in place is a sort of a mandatory greenhouse gas reporting rule. So that's in fact what we've gone out to the public with for in this pre-proposal phase, which is begin give us information, let us know what what uh, what you think about the obligation to report, who should be reporting, so that we have a sense of the total universe of potential emitters, and then from that we carve out the larger, the smaller universe, of course a large universe, but a small universe of obligated entities, those that must participate in this long-term program to drop emissions. So bottom line is we'll have that big umbrella, the big understanding of who's emitting, and then we'll have a slightly smaller but very important umbrella as to who is a part of this emissions reduction program. That then we use to know, are we hitting our 2030 targets and ultimately, we'll be here the hit the very important 2050 emissions reductions target, which is what we know globally we need to do to order in order to hit those really important uh, reductions that will help serve our planet.
0: At this point, has the state ruled out uh, certain t- emitters from needing to ro- purchase uh allowances in the future, because I have to imagine there are some listeners who are wondering, well, you know, I drive a car, I have a house, am I going to have to report uh, or or purchase uh, allowances for my wood-burning stove or for my 2014 Honda Accord? I mean, what's that look like? Have you already ruled out some of those people for purchasing allowances?
1: We haven't ruled anybody out yet because we haven't put a regulation out, just for starters. But we have some leanings, right? Mm-hmm. We uh, we anticipate, for example, you have the wood-burning stove example. We do not anticipate that being part of the program. There's aviation fuels as well. We don't anticipate that being part of the program. And there's a helpful, in our, in our, in our proposals, uh, there's a helpful chart which shows what we believe to be in, what we believe to be out. But we ultimately, we want the public to weigh in on that list. Uh, and give us their their best impressions. Again, we we want to go after the largest sources of emissions and do so in a way that makes sense for New Yorkers and makes sense for us from a regulatory perspective and ultimately hit those uh, decreases in emissions.
0: Do you anticipate the electricity sector is going to be part of that conversation?
1: Well, it needs to be part of the conversation for sure. We've been having conversations for months about that point, and I think looking forward... We look forward to a robust discussion with the public as well as the electricity sector to help us uh, decide whether or not that needs to be part of it, right? It's in some ways covered by this other program, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, which has been going for many years. You know, that will need to be factored into however we ultimately craft this program through regulation.
0: Well, what does the future of the cap and trade program that's set up for, you know, the power generation side uh, of things regionally look like if you guys are putting in place a, a separate cap and invest program? Is there a chance to merge the two? Are they going to remain isolated entities? How do you think about them?
2: Well, the I'd say there's a couple of aspects of this. Um, mentioned was the regional greenhouse gas initiative that is actually under review right now and believe me the other states are paying a lot of attention to what new york is doing um we're the first state on the east coast to really be looking at this economy-wide approach and and to be clear not only are we learning from others on who have implemented these programs already but we also recognize the fact that it will be a better program if it is scaled up um, beyond new york's borders as a general matter so all that to say, we're cognizant that Reggie is successful, it has been successful, and, and it's critical that it continue in the manner that it does, yet we recognize benefits in potentially linking New York's cap and invest program with others. So it's it's complicated for sure, but I think the the basic premise is we have a lot of states that are watching New York carefully and learning ways in which they could potentially join us along the way.
0: The state has clear benchmarks that it's looking to hit in 2030 and 2050 for emissions, but have you determined what the pace of emission reductions will look like on the way toward those statutory benchmarks?
2: Well, certainly when we look at the pace of emissions reductions, actually, and, and you just heard where we are um, from the most recent baseline that has been reported by DEC, the actual steepest slope happens between now and 2030. And certainly into 2050, it's, it's a longer duration, but I would say where we sit today, these very near-term emission reductions that we have to hit to get to 2030 are, are a strong focal point. That's inherent within new york's climate law and ultimately necessitates um, a very rapid transition um, toward 2030 in particular so it's it's what we're solving for
0: well after a quick break we'll continue our discussion about the implementation of a cap and invest program designed to reduce the pollution emitted in new york and our guests are doreen harris president and ceo of the new york state energy research and development authority and basil sagos the commissioner for the state department of environmental conservation And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. For listeners just joining us, this is the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about a proposal released in December from the Hochul administration that begins to lay out the framework of what a cap and invest program might look like in New York that is designed to lower pollution emissions in New York and also generate revenue that can be invested in green funds. And our guests are State Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos and New York State Energy Research and Development Authority President and CEO, Doreen Harris. A big focus of the 2019 Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act is this idea of righting some of the wrongs for disadvantaged communities. So, How is the cap and invest program focusing on those communities when it comes to regulatory action? And what are some areas where you feel like, you know, let's keep issues affecting disadvantaged communities out of the cap and invest program and let other processes uh, deal with uh, concerns about them?
1: Well, there's the cap side, right, which is capping emissions and ultimately reducing emissions, and then there's the invest side, so I'll just take those two in order. On the cap side, yes, this is a statewide program when it comes to emission sources within what, what are called disadvantaged communities, which are this this relatively new term of art involving a variety of indicators, but ultimately you think of an environmental justice community or an impoverished area, is it is it a disadvantaged community. So let's say you have a emission source there that emission source would not be able to offset its emissions. In other words, purchasing uh, allowances from outside this disadvantaged community in order to increase its own emissions. But even though statewide we see a drop in emissions, you might see spikes in, in, those, in those areas. So that's why we're specifically disallowing what are called offsets, or at least in contemplating doing so uh, in this pre-proposal phase. And then on the invest side, uh, of course, the big ticket number is we are going to adhere to the to the 35 percent investment, 40 percent ultimately investment uh, uh, ratio of, uh, of where we allocate our benefits, so that you know we are actually reducing emissions in these areas, but also investing back in these areas in order to achieve all of those other co-benefits. Uh, very importantly, quality of life, health benefits, and so on, jobs benefits. So that's the cap side and the invest side are both fully in play within the environmental justice community.
2: We actually just issued um, guidance on how to actually account mm-hmm. for that yep. 35 or 40 percent um, objective it's it is very central to the climate law but also back to this topic of implementation how right what's the mm-hmm. numerator what's the denominator what are the eligible expenditures this document is out now for feedback because of course we want to get this right. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you anticipate the program will ultimately include a free pass, so to speak, for businesses that the state deems would be hurt by the lower costs of operating, say, in neighboring states?
1: I wouldn't put it that way. Well, of course would, you wouldn't I, call it. No, I, I would put it this What would
0: way? critics of the program call it?
1: <laughs> well, listen, I, I wouldn't call it a free pass because I think what we recognize, what the law recognizes, what other jurisdictions have also recognized is this concept of energy intensive and trade exposed industries. And energy intensive is an industry that has lots of energy use or lots of emissions. Trade exposed is one, of course, that with the controls on emissions might decide to leave the state and go go elsewhere, and ultimately just take those emissions elsewhere. So we have begun a, um, contemplating how to how to bring these EITEs, energy intensive trading post industries, into the fold on this, recognizing that we need to protect certain jobs in New York, certain kinds of uh, industrial activities. How that's structured yet is to be determined in the regulation, but we do anticipate uh, being able to. Create a pool of allowances that would enable these these businesses to continue in New York, and ultimately participate in other emissions reduction strategies through our agency.
0: Well, Doreen, you mentioned the idea of numerators and denominators. So, is there a formula for figuring this stuff out, or does it just go to the highest uh, you know campaign contributors?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now, Dude. now. <laughs> So so certainly when you look at the pre-proposal that was issued, there's, there's some areas that have brackets around them at this point. Um, and, and that is really where we need to get in the next number of months is we need to fill in those brackets in the draft regulation that was referenced. Uh, it is the case that this is going to be a mathematical exercise at the end of the day. And, and really when we determine how we calculate our progress not only toward the climate act goals but the progress in executing on cap and invest it's, it's going to be very specific as to who's obligated what the caps are what the rules are et cetera. Um, that's where we are today um, we've put a very strong framework together and are going to be working to fill in those brackets and, and continue this process
0: Well, sticking with calculations, uh, Politico New York's great Marie French reported that NYSERDA is hoping to have modeling information out out soon that could shape the pricing for uh, the auctions in the program, Um, you know, with the caveat that clearly the info isn't finalized. Is there anything that you can tell us, you know, preliminary about the modeling you're looking at and and what it tells us about, you know, potential price floors or, or ceilings, for example, for these auctions in the future?
2: Yeah, so we'll be running three webinars toward the end of January, the 23rd, the 25th, and 26th. The third, on the 26th of January, will cover an analytic framework that we've been working on. And ultimately, in conjunction with that webinar, we'll have a big tome of details for Ms. French to, uh, to dig into at her leisure. But... But all that to say, what the analysis is is intending to do is to look at the impacts of these trade-offs. That's really what we're talking about here. And when I mention the brackets that need to be filled in, they're reflective of the trade-offs, and ultimately, the bigger the cap and invest program gets, um, obviously, the the more significant the impacts on consumers could be, but also the greater our progress toward the Climate Act goals. And so what we will be producing will be analysis that helps everyone better understand the implications of those decision points, i.e. those brackets um, that I, I was referring to. It's going to be important. Information, because ultimately this has been the missing missing component, right? Which is how much of all of this uh, progress is going to be placed on the Cap and Invest program versus how much of our progress will be made with other policies like our renewable policy, like our transportation policy, etc. How much of Cap and Invest um, we really take on um, relative to the goals?
0: Do you anticipate? when you think about costs, that there needs to be uh, an off-ramp or mechanisms to make changes if it's determined once you're implementing this program that it's either hurting the economy or or costing New Yorkers too much? Do you have sort of the same flexibility that's built into New York's minimum wage law?
2: This is very much a question of the design that we ultimately implement. And, And I mentioned the fact that we're learning from others California and Washington state are great examples of actually very different approaches to these mm-hmm. questions um, and those that we will have to take a point of view on from a regulatory perspective, because there are, there's ways you can build that in should you choose to.
0: When you think about the overall goal of a cap and invest program, what seems to be the most important outcome? Is it about cutting emissions or a- Are you primarily focused on generating revenue that can be used for green projects? I mean, if you have to get one over the other, which is the one that you want to be able to trumpet at the end of the day?
1: We recognize that we are in a pretty dire place when it comes to our climate crisis. I mean, this year being probably the hottest, this 2023 being the hottest year ever. We saw the effects of it here in New York, internationally. Uh, we know we've got a problem on our hands, and it's going to last for many, many years, and it's going to take us decades to get out of this, assuming we, we all move in the right direction, not just New York, but all states and nations. For us, this program, it, designing it the right way, making sure it, it, it has emissions in mind, but adheres to the tenets that the governor laid out last year, those really important tenets, this has to be an affordable program in New York. You know, We've looked at uh, how other states are dealing with this. Some instances where prices have been high and how what that does to the uh, viability of the program. We've also looked at uh, in situations where perhaps the program wasn't generating enough revenue, right? And it's not going back into the kinds of programs that will that will drop emissions. So, I mean, what we're trying to do here is, is ultimately put New York in the best possible position to hit our legally mandated emissions targets while generating this new economy here in New York. And we think we really can do that through this program in conjunction with many of these other programs that are underway statewide, grow a huge number of jobs, create a huge number of revenue in the state, and put us in a competitive advantage over other parts of the of the nation slash world. And it is pie in the sky to, to say that, sounds like it, but that is truly the ambition of the law, to do this in such a way to, to lift all communities as well. And it would be, I think, incorrect to say that we're looking at just one thing here. Uh, we're looking at the entire universe of this program and how it impacts the entirety of New York State. Again, this is an economy-wide program. And we have to be uh, cognizant that you know doing this in a way that's deliberative, that's why we've taken more time to do this than even the law contemplated. Um, and we've been talking about that for a while, that this is gonna take more time than I think uh, just a year to pull together. Do it the right way and ultimately um, have a program that works for New Yorkers, New York businesses, and, uh, and ultimately can set a, a model for the country.
0: Well, sticking with that idea of affordability, again, the two of you were making the rounds last year arguing that the state should change how it accounts for methane emissions in the future, a change that environmentalists argued would weaken the impact of the state's 2019 climate law, but would make the green transition, you know, less costly. Uh, Commissioner Sagos, you reportedly told uh, kickball superstar Marie French that this proposal is not on the table in, in 2024 what does that mean then for the cost that will be carried by new yorkers do you need to find uh, additional offsets that you would have otherwise been able to a- avoid if you had made changes uh, last year
1: uh kickball star marie french is uh, was right to report out that uh we are not advancing uh, any changes to the accounting methodology um and um we are going to put forward a program ultimately that we think is going to achieve the balance i was just talking about but maybe Doreen, you can talk about Uh,
2: that analysis moving forward yeah i mean totally agree our focus is on implementing the cap and invest program consistent with with the law that we have and the accounting rules that we have Uh, the fact that our accounting is different then, then certainly national standards or international standards, as the case may be, just means that there are perhaps fewer tools that would actually be made available in the transition itself, meaning that we would rely less on some of the alternative fuels because of the ways in which accounting is, is advanced in New York. I would say it doesn't mean it's impossible by any means. It just means that we are looking very strongly at electrification as our primary resource mm. against a very clean grid. That's that's kind of the long and short of it, um, which means that when we look at these industries, like you had mentioned as an example, energy intensive industries, there's going to need to be technologies that are brought to bear to help those types of industries decarbonize in manners that are consistent with the law that we have. All that to say, um, when you see our analysis, it's going to focus on on New York's uh, climate law and the accounting within it.
0: And finally, how many additional staffers do you need either at NYSERDA or DEC uh, to write the program and then actually implement it?
1: Well, we, we, we've been... Grateful to the governor and legislature for recognizing the need for increased staff. Um, certainly at DEC and I would assume Nysert as well to pull this together. Even last year, uh, contemplating that ramp up uh, over the next few years. So, you know, we, we we got a we got a staff increase this year. Uh, we uh, we're now up over 3,200 at at DEC, which is remarkable from where we were six years ago, down below 2,700 we have the staff that we we think we need to launch the program. And of course, as the program really takes hold in 25 and beyond, we would expect to to come back to the legislature uh, for, for additional staff.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Commissioner Basil Sagos. Commissioner, thank you.
1: Thank you, Dave. Always oh, great to be
0: here. And we've also been joined in the studio by Doreen Harris, the President and CEO of the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. Doreen, thank you for visiting us as well.
2: Thanks for having us.
0: Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State Union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.